Hi, this is Steve. For the last week, I've been studying Mel Gibson's 1995 Academy Award-winning film, Braveheart. I've waded through fight choreography and period costumes, use of slow motion, locations, film scoring, and sound design. But this film has also led me to study the real lives of William Wallace, Robert the Bruce, King Edward I of England, and their battles over the independence of Scotland, which in turn has led me to the modern Scottish independence movement and its connections to Ireland, Brexit, and European politics. In other words, as so often happens in my preparation for the cinephiles, a single film has led me down a crazy rabbit hole that will only end when John and I get together tomorrow night to record the actual episode. And of course, it's talking to John and hearing his thoughts about the film, which is actually the fun part. You see, all I really know right now is that he loves the movie, but how that love manifests itself in his life and his way of looking at the world is, until tomorrow night, a complete mystery to me. Braveheart is an extremely popular film and among our most requested on Patreon, but if you haven't actually seen it, you might want to visit cinephiles.net, where you can go down your own rabbit hole by buying or streaming every film we've ever reviewed. When you're done with that, you can come back on Friday to hear how our conversation went on part one of Braveheart, only on The Cinephiles. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris, and I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, host, and producer over there at Collider Video, uh, and uh, co-host of the Top Ten Show, which is now on its own feed. Just letting you all yes. know. A uh, big, big plug there. Some of you have been trying to find it under the Schmoes No Feed. It's no longer under the Schmoes No Feed. It's on its own feed. Go to wherever you get your podcast. Type in the top 10 with the number 10. We should come up and sign up and subscribe. So if you're missing episodes, that's why you've been missing episodes. Matt and I are, are uh, really excited to be branching out on our own. And for all of your top 10 or cinephiles needs, you should be following uh, John Roca at the Roca says, please, and Matt knows it's at Matt knows at right? Matt knows, yeah. and and then follow me at SR Morris, and Absolutely. you will get this information. That's right, that's and you right. won't have to wait to exactly. find out or lose your feed. This is important stuff, yeah, very important stuff. Also important stuff is that today on the Cinephiles, mm -hmm. we are covering what is one among our most requested yeah. films ever, yeah, and that is 1995's Braveheart. Yeah, it's a lot of emotion. Freedom! It's yeah. powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was very powerful for our, our patron members. This is, there are not one, not two, not three, not four, but five patrons requested this. They are James Kang, Laura Deverson, Rod Harris, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Picardo, and the Blast from the Past podcast oh, has also requested this. Thank you. That's right. We have a podcast that is supporting another podcast. <laughs> Gotta love that. That is great. So uh, first of all, we would love to hear what all these people, why all these people wanted to uh, recommend Braveheart. And then also go listen to the Blast from the Past podcast. Yes. Hey, guys. This is James from San Francisco. Braveheart has always been one of my favorite films of all time because it had everything I was looking for growing up loving film. 
violence, themes about loyalty, revenge, and betrayal. And the speech from William Wallace is often what I hearken back to whenever I need to motivate myself to live life never having regrets. Thank you for covering this film and digging into its themes. Really looking forward to it. Hi guys, this is John from Las Vegas. I just wanted to let you know how excited I am that y'all are going to be reviewing one of my favorite movies of all time, Braveheart. I'm particularly looking forward to you breaking down all the little details that make this film so great. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everyone. We yes. really appreciate your support, and we love hearing your voices on our show. Absolutely. So many different points of views and so many honest points. I love listening to these uh, on the episodes because people have such honest takes on these films, how much they love them and why they're moved by them. And sometimes they're apologetic almost in certain ones, and you're like, don't ever apologize for loving a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever your reason is for loving a movie, that's why it was created, for you to love it. Wow, I love that. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> That's great. John, do you remember how you first came to Braveheart? Oh, yeah. Uh, what's this, 95? So certainly this is back in that time where I'm coming uh, out of, where I'm like kind of figuring out what I'm going to do with my life. I, I know that I'm in the military at the time, and I go to, and I know I'm in love with movies, and I go to see movies all the time by myself. This is during that period where I would go by myself. And I think I remember seeing this one with a friend of mine late at night. It might have been my friend Clay. And we went to go see it at one of the 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock screenings and just blown away by it. Just absolutely blown away absolutely. by it. And at the time, I'm a massive Mel Gibson fan because sure. of Lethal Weapon and everything else. Enjoying. So to see him take this on and you know direct it and uh, uh, act in it, star in it, and what a moving film. And I remember hating the English. I just remember throughout the whole movie, it really makes you hate the English. It's very powerful in that way. Yeah, so much. And by the end of the movie, you know, I was inspired by it uh, in so many ways. It's one of these films I come back to because it is about the underdog overcoming and somehow for something bigger, a purpose bigger than themselves. Freedom. Exactly. Um, so I've been very excited to tell this story because oh, okay. for me, this is my first star-studded movie that I saw. Oh. Because I, it's 95. It was my first year or first year in film school. Mm -hmm. And I think it was my friend Jeremy at film school, who you know. Okay. He somehow had a connection at Paramount. Oh, right. And we went to... This is long before the DVD business. Yes. This is just at film school. And we went on the Paramount lot, yes. Karen and me, and I think it was Jeremy, and we went to that main theater on that lot, which is really nice. Yeah. And we're sitting down, and there at that movie theater, theater is Mel Gibson and Arnold Schwarzenegger Whoa. and Maria Shriver and a whole bunch of other stars because this is like two months before it was released and it's the first like big screening and I don't know why I was there it was gorier and longer than what we've seen oh and I just blew me away there's a longer version of Brave well it's an earlier cut wow yeah and it was just like it would have been amazing anyway. Right. But amazing and knowing that Mel Gibson is like up there behind me, mm -hmm. it was crazy. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and we had a friend who became assistant to Mel Gibson for a we while, did. right? At yes. Skydance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a, a little pre-production. Of course, this starts with Randall Wallace. Um, and Randall Wallace is the screenwriter and mm -hmm. may or may not be related to William Wallace. There's these <laughs> legends that maybe he is. I think he sure. probably isn't. Here's what he says. He says that he had no real sense of his, of his Scottish heritage at all, and it wasn't until his wife became pregnant with her first son that he went, 
I really should find out about, you know, who I am and where I come from so I could pass it on to my son. So they took a trip to Scotland and he's at Edinburgh Castle. And there at the castle, there are two huge statues, one of William Wallace and one of Robert the Bruce. And he says, talking to a guard who's right there, wow, they must have been amazing allies. And the guard said, well, maybe. I can't do a Scottish accent. Yeah, I'm not going to try. And he said, there's a rumor that Robert the Bruce betrayed William Wallace. Oh. And he goes, huh. And that is the kernel of the idea that led to everything else. The idea that Robert the Bruce might have betrayed wow. uh, William Wallace. And here's the interesting thing about uh, Randall Wallace. Mm -hmm. His philosophy is to write first, research later. <laughs> and it's going to show in this yeah. film in a lot of ways. And there's some there's some spectacularly good writing here. Yes, there is. Um, amazing writing. It won an Oscar. It must have had great writing. There's some things that maybe aren't so accurate. And we oh, will, Lordy. We are going to kind of have to discuss some of those. Steve, I spent two hours watching videos about how historically inaccurate <laughs> this film is. And you know what? It still doesn't diminish my love for it. I love this movie. Yeah. And, th and that's that's the thing. I mean, we're going to have to talk about it because yeah. I don't think we can do Braveheart and not discuss it. Absolutely. But I still love this movie. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, he, he goes to write it. And, and the big idea, what he said, is that he believed that our job was to be myth makers, mm -hmm. not to be historians. You can go to a historian to get a historian. Um and the big source he gets this from, I mean, there really was a William Wallace, mm -hmm. but there's not that much information about him. Mm -hmm. And the big source he goes to is a guy named Blind Harry. Yes. And Blind Harry writes an epic poem of William Wallace. Mm -hmm. He writes it about 100 years after William Wallace's death yeah. and probably didn't base it on very many historical <laughs> yeah, accounts right. at all. And uh, he writes the screenplay. It's bought by Alan Ladd Jr., who's one of oh. the great producers who we've yes. actually talked about on the show before. I think we talked about him with Blade Runner. Yep. And a bunch of other things. And they sent it off to Mel Gibson. Mel passes. Interesting. But can't get it out of his head. <laughs> a couple of months go by. Uh, Randall Wallace gets the call from his agent that we all want to get, which starts with, are you sitting down? <laughs> I was like, has anyone ever said this to you? No. I can't imagine what the yeah. response is. Because he's like, no, I'm not sitting down. He's like, well, you should sit down. He's like, I don't have a chair. <laughs> What's going on? And he says, Bill Gibson wants to meet you. Oof. So this is what he says. And I actually think this is great. Is he thinks to himself the day before the meeting or when he's going, he says he literally prayed to God and said, please don't let me kiss his ass. Wow. Please, God, don't let me kiss his ass. Because what he said, and I think this is 100% right, mm -hmm. is when you get in the room with these people that have the power to make your dreams come true, essentially, yeah. you really want to do anything you can right. to get them to like you and say yes to you. And so the instinct is to say, please, please, please. And he doesn't want to do that. So he goes and meets with Mel. And he basically, it sounds like, the, the meeting starts and he says, wait, on, hold on a minute. I need to say something. And he says, this is a movie about this. And it is about these. This is its theme. This is what it's about. This is what it's for. If you are interested in making that kind of movie, great. If you want to make other, any other kind of movie, let's just stop this right here because life's too short. Wow. And Mel goes, yes. <laughs> Sells it in the room. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Of course, this is from the guy who doesn't give a very accurate version right. of William Wallace. That's true. Is this story true? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> um, and that, I believe is all I have in pre-production oh, okay. at this moment. Okay. Would you like to get into the movie? Yeah, let's do it. We start and we see that title in the fog and we hear that music with the bagpipes 
James Horner, great score. It is fantastic. Yeah. It's an amazing, powerful, moving score. Can I say one thing here? Yes. When I won my title recently for the Schmodown, the, the James, this soundtrack is what I would meditate to before I came out to wow. perform, uh, to, to uh, uh, compete. The outlaw had to go to Braveheart level yes. of intensity. I had to feel like an underdog walking in amongst the British. I had to feel like a hero. To go against, it's stupid, I know it's stupid, to go against Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, and then ultimately to beat Bibiani for the title, I had to feel like, so the music got me into that place of feeling like the underdog having to fight to the end. I've heard you talk about this music music for the Schmodown before. Yeah. I think the the story of the soundtracks of each of your battles <laughs> would be really interesting. That's fair. That's fair. Um <laughs> Uh, and then we hear voiceover, yeah. which later we find out actually is Robert the Bruce, mm-hmm. and he says, I shall tell you of William Wallace. Historians from England will say I am a liar, but history is written by those who have hanged heroes. Okay, when you write a movie that is historically inaccurate, <laughs> you have the first line yeah, say, yeah, yeah. I know historians are going to call us a liar, but those people are evil. <laughs> I, it's it's very clear they knew that this was not going to be accurate. And it's ironic because it's the death of the king, and the king actually doesn't die for another four years. From six where they, years. Six years. Yeah. When they say 1290, it's actually six years later yeah. that the king dies. Yeah, so... so uh, it's really weird how they make it all fit. Well, and what's funny about it is like switching the death of the king from 1280 to 1286... Yeah. It, the whole way that the movie is structured is based on this timeline, yeah. which isn't real. Right. Which is that, because the way, and we'll talk about this as we go along, is that William Wallace talks about this thing we've never had, freedom. Yeah. Because the, the implication is we've been impressed, not just for our lifetimes, but for generations by the English. Yeah. That is not true at all. Right. There are things There are things where there are matters of opinion, mm-hmm. but the year the king died is not a matter of opinion. That's <laughs> right. just a straight-up fact. <laughs> yeah, like, right. he died at this time. <laughs> uh, but yes, they say that the king died in 1280, yeah. and, um, and we hear that evil Edward Longshanks, uh, who was a pagan, mm-hmm. not a pagan. Not a pagan. I mean, he's evil. Like, Don't Edward get Longshanks me wrong, he's evil. He's not a nice guy. Right, right. But he was not a pagan, and that he had claimed Scotland, which he had not. Right. Not at this time. And that there were all these battles going on. There were no battles going on with with Longshanks at this time. And that there was these lords invited to this truce. Mm. They each could take one page. Um, This didn't happen. And uh, and Malcolm Wallace, a commoner with two sons, John and William. We meet them and they're working their fields. William Wallace is not a commoner. He was not. He was a minor nobility. Yeah. He was the son of a knight. Yeah. Not a commoner. Not a commoner. Um, Certainly wasn't down in the dirt. <laughs> and yet, is the movie working on you? Absolutely. 100%. Once I, again. I'm right? in. Yeah. I'm totally in. For the American audiences, this idea of a self-made man. Yes. This is very important. It totally hooks into you as an You go, oh, yeah, I can be that. Yeah. I can be that. Totally. And that's where that why the movie works well, so and well. It, it, I hadn't thought about it until you said that, but Mel yeah. Gibson has this interesting history. Is this guy who was born in the U.S., yeah. raised in Australia. Right. Has connection to uh, Scotland with, through his family, mm-hmm. and then comes back to the U.S. He has these multiple identities, mm-hmm. many of which are not fans of the English. Yeah, right. It seems like this really fits into his self-made ness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, plus he's a big fan of vengeance films. 
A little bit. Not to, we could throw in a bit of torture and yeah, yeah, yeah. and violence and gore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the design of this era, particularly the poor Scottish people, mm-hmm. is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And while there are many inaccuracies in this movie, the fact that everyone is dirty and living in stone and right. you know that that's much more accurate than seeing a bunch of guys in you know in double you know in felts and doublets yeah, and yeah. things like that, which were with matching colors and everyone very clean. <laughs> that's not so right. Right. Um, and why would you care about a person of noble nobility wanting to you know create or wanting to fight for freedom? Why would you care? You have to make it seem like it could be well. Throughout history, we have cared about people of nobility. You know, King Arthur and Robin Hood are oh, both examples sure. of people of nobility fighting for that. Sure. but So we do, but I'm kind of with you. Yeah. I mean, I care. You know, this version of William Wallace, I am, I'm sold. Yeah. And his dad and his older brother going off to do something, and they say, no, no, you can't come with us. And they head off to this meeting place where these mm-hmm. lords and these kids have gone, and something is a little creepy, and they hear a horse whinny. And they start calling out their names and they enter the house holding a pitchfork and everyone is hanging from the rafters. Yeah. Really creepy and scary. Mm-hmm. And those were a bunch of real dudes hanging from the ceiling. Oh, wow. And they were hanging all day. Damn. 30, every 30 minutes, they took them down for a tea break and then back up. Wow. Making movies is weird. No, it's like, that's so strange. But there's a real, well, and you could tell when they, you could tell by the weight and the way they move. Yeah. And they hear something, and they turn, and there is young William Wallace yep. looking in at the bodies. Young, blue-eyed, mulleted William Wallace. That kid is great casting. He is. He apparently had only acted in school plays. This is what <laughs> I've heard before this. He's just perfect. William Wallace is asleep, and then he has this dream where this kid turns to him and says, the kid hanging from the rafters yeah. turns and says his name. There are a couple of these dream moments that are really interesting in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up and he hears his father arguing about whether or not we're going to war, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that's like, well, look, every person who was ready to fight, they were at that meeting. They're all dead. Right. Edward the Longshanks wiped them all out, which he didn't. Right. Um, well, not at all. No. Nothing this like, meeting even never happened. Nothing happened. Yeah. Well, there, the, Edward Longshanks had nothing to do with <laughs> with Scotland. He was, <laughs> it was a king who was still alive. Yeah, there was right. no war going on. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, they agree to fight. And uh, we see Daddy pulls the sword hidden out of the thatched roof, and William's already on the horse because he wants to go fight. Right. And a good help you'd be too. But I need you to stay here and look after the place for me while I'm away. Which is sort of from our modern perspective, mm-hmm. the idea, oh, we're going to leave this nine-year-old kid just in the middle of nowhere to right. watch the land, but that was normal. And he says, I can fight. I know. I know you can fight. But it's our wits that make us men. This is a classic theme that goes throughout this whole film that I love. And the brother kind of cuffs him and they mount up and they ride off and there's distant thunder and beautiful scenery, which we're going to see throughout this whole film. I mean, incredible, magnificent scenery. And then we see that British soldiers have arrived now in William's area, which they hadn't Mm -hmm. because they weren't here yet. (laughs) And we meet young Hamish. Yes. There's this very cool moment where they're kind of going, look, the British are here. We're going to have to fight them ourselves. And they grab rocks and you go like, oh, my God, are they going to attack British soldiers? But no, they're just imagining it. And they throw some rocks at a thing. Right. Um, And then and William, of course, is the better rock thrower. And Hamish response. 
With a punch in the mouth. Punches him in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> These Scottish people, they uh, like to punch their friends in the mouth what? a lot. They're tough people. They're tough people. <laughs> Not really good with emotions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now it's twilight and he's all alone and he looks off into the distance. And then it's morning and he gets up and he's making a fire and he's getting some water and he's doing the stuff you got to do. And then he sees some men coming in the distance. Yeah. And at first he's excited. Because it must be his dad and his brother. And then he sees that it's a cart. And he knows. He knows right away. And the the shots are beautifully composed. Mm -hmm. William in the foreground. The cart coming in the background. We see Hamish's father, um, which is, uh, his name is Campbell, and that's James Cosmo. Yeah. I love him in this movie. Everything he shows up in. Every moment in this film, he's great. And you're right. Everything he shows up in, he's great. Yeah. He's a fantastic actor. He was in Game of Thrones for a season or two as well. Who was he in Game of Thrones? He was... he was on the Night's Watch. He was one oh. of the one of the guys who was on. Is he Mormont? He is Mormont. Yes, he is Jorah's dad. Holy shit! Yeah, that's James. I Cosmo. literally just watched him. I didn't. Now that you say it, yeah. of course that's who that is. Yeah. Oh my god! I can't yeah. believe I didn't notice him. Um, and later on, they're they've kind of laid out the bodies in the house, which is how they used to do it, and they're cleaning the bodies. And he he tr- starts to reach out to touch his father's body, and he can't quite do it. Yeah. We're at the funeral. They're wrapped in shrouds. The service is being given in Latin. Yeah. And we see this little girl looking at William Wallace. And everyone, you know, we kind of finish the service. Everyone crosses themselves. And Hamish, with an affectionate pat on the back, walks away. Mm-hmm. And the little girl kind of turns to him like she wants to go to him. But then mom takes her by the hand and starts to take her away. And William is just standing there alone at the graveside looking at the bodies. And the girl gets away from mom. She plucks a flower. And just in beautiful slow-mo, which we're going to see throughout this film, hands the flower. And we hear for the first time the love theme, the beautiful love theme of this film. Um, and the kid cries. And it's a really good kid acting from both him and the little girl. Absolutely. By the way, that didn't happen either. The little girl didn't take the flower and give it to him. <laughs> well, it's historically inaccurate. His father didn't die at this time. His That's father true. died much later. Much, he was a, already a, a young man when he, his father died. He was like died. 16 or 17 when his yeah, dad yeah. died. And, 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 <laughs> but, but I think you make a good oh, point. Oh, Randall. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the flower is the purple thistle, which is yes. the national flower of Scotland. Right. So here's this is where I do like Randall's writing. I want to talk about how he did this. Sure. Because this relates this is how i experience writing a lot Mm -hmm. which is that so he needs to write this first of all he chose not to write the grown-up stuff because he was scared of it so he decided to write william wallace as a kid oh wow fear is a great motivator when you're (laughs) writing like i don't know how to do that i will go do this right and then as he's writing this he gets to the funeral and he went well how does it feel to be at a funeral and he remembered going to this funeral of a friend of his whose fa- family member had died mm-hmm. and he's looking, remember his friend being alone, you know, at this funeral of his, I think it was one of his parents. And he met, he thought, man, how lonely this guy must feel. And it was the feeling of remembering his friend's loneliness that he gave to William as he's standing alone by the graveside. Right. And then as he was thinking about it, he just felt so bad for the character of William that he wished someone could do something nice. And that, I, that idea of imagining his friend and imagining William and imagining the loneliness led to the idea of the girl picking the flower right. and giving him the flower. And that's all he knew about that. He didn't know that this girl would ever come back in the movie. Right. This is just because that was how to solve the problem of that moment. Mm-hmm. 
after the girl goes away, a beautifully dressed man comes up, and that is Argyle. Uncle Argyle. Brian Cox. Yeah. <laughs> Again, great, great casting. Crazy eye of his. Yeah, it's really, yeah. Creepy and fascinating, yeah. I think. Um, and later on, Argyle's talking to William and says, you're going to stay here tonight, and then tomorrow you're going to come home with me. And William says, I don't want to go. And he says, you didn't want your father and brother to die either, but it's <laughs> happened. <laughs> Argyle's not soft. No, no, no. Exactly. Then again, we're in this weird dream moment where he's lying on the bed next to his the body of his dead father on the slab, essentially. Yeah. And his father turns his head and looks at him and says, Your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. They made up that line on the set. Wow. Yeah, they're just like, he should say something. Yeah. And that's what they made up. It's nice. It's a nice line because, yeah, you are now no longer beholden to the family. You can go and be whoever you want to be. Whoever you want to be. Right. Yeah. You owe nothing to us. We are gone now. Well, this is, I mean, in a weird way, this is so linked into... I, you said it so right. I hadn't thought about it, but mm. linked into like American tradition because this is oh, yeah. this is Batman. Yeah, this is you know your father, your parents have been killed, right? And now you get to be who you get to cr- create a new identity, right? You know, right. and he hears bagpipes, and he comes outside and he sees these players playing in the moonlight, and it is beautifully filmed as everything in this film is, and Argyle's there, and William asks what he's doing, and Argyle says, "Saying goodbye in their own way." Playing outlawed tunes on outlawed pipes. It was the same for me and your daddy when our father was killed. Mm. And there's a look between them, and they share this moment. The idea that, like, oh, my father experienced this thing. And the relationship of their death to England and to the oppression of Scotland. And the relationship of the outlawed bagpipes to the oppression of England and the oppression of Scotland, and even the relationship to William Wallace having, or to his his dad having to hide his sword in the thatch roof. Yeah. All of this is setting to this theme that is so important. And of course, A, <laughs> those aren't Scottish bagpipes, they're nope. Irish bagpipes. Oh. And B, there were no bagpipes but, at this time. Yeah. And yeah. C, they weren't outlawed. And they weren't outlawed. They didn't exist. They didn't exist, right? <laughs> uh, bagpipes are like 100 years later. Yeah, but it's such a brilliant way to lay the groundwork exposition wise of this evil force yeah. in the oh, world, yeah. in his world which is the british the english the english this is why i will always hate the english uh, in his mind i will right. oh because they took my father from me they tried to subjugate us they tried to do whatever blah 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 i also want to say this and we'll get to it i know in a little bit but randall's decision to use uncle argyle as a convention Right. In order to have a more intelligent, yep. educated, knowledgeable Wallace, while still being a quote-unquote commoner, he is unusual for the commoners. Why is that? Because it he is, had this experience yeah, with this educated man. Exactly, who took taught him, him Latin, Europe. took him to Europe, taught him how to fight, all this jazz, taught him to use his head over uh, uh, before he uses a weapon. All of this, I think, is Randall's way of kind of a uh, uh, roundabout way of you in the, using the actual history of William Wallace and kind of putting it into the story in his own way to make it work in this construct of the story. 
that because he was he was educated he learned how to fight at a very young age he was a knowledgeable man of letters so it's like he knew what he was he wasn't some idiot you know he was a a, a man who was conditioned or trained from from birth to be a certain level right of nobility well, that's what's so, and there's rumors too. And by the way, so the documentation on the actual William Wallace is fairly thin. Yes. And I've looked into it, you know, as much as I could in a week. Um, <laughs> but but there's there's even a thing that he might have been a mercenary at yes. some point. For the king. For, yeah, for, for England, Edward. for yeah. Edward. Yeah. Um, but we don't, but that's not, that's, there's speculation about that. And it has to do with the emblem on a certain weapon or. Yeah, it's an archer. An archer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very good. Yep. So they go off. And now we go to England, yeah. And we hear that it's many years later, and Edward the Longshanks, uh, he's supervising the wedding of his eldest son, um, <laughs> and the son is nervous. Yes. And we find out that the bride is the daughter of France, who is mm-hmm. Isabella. And there's kind of looks to dad. The son looks to dad, looks at his bride, and looks to this very striking man in the very, crowd. Very good looking man. A very good-looking man, yes. and Dad sees that look. He doesn't like it, and we hear from the narrator. It was widely whispered that for the princess to conceive, Longshanks would have to do the honors himself. That may have been what he had in mind all along. <laughs> and the son kisses the bride on the cheek. And this is the first of our introduction to the <laughs> gay prince. Yes. And there are are some feelings about the way that this is handled. Yes. And, you know, we'll get into it as we go along. Sure. I have, I, but I should point out, I have no problem whatsoever with a character hating his son because that son is gay. Yes. That is happens in real life yep. and maybe even happened between Edward the Longshanks and Edward II as there is rumors right. of his homosexuality. Yes. Not his son could, was possibly Was homosexual. possibly gay. He had, there is very, there are historic documents that uh, show his affinity for his male friends and giving them lands and titles when they were not noble in any way shape or form and he enjoyed the pleasure of their company with intimate relationships with them whether it means sex or homosexuality yeah. who knows yeah the treatment of this which is often treated as a joke yeah as a punchline is uh at times distasteful to me in this film. I can understand that, but the person doing it is evil. So he's supposed to do but bad this, things. But well, this I, is, I have no problem with right. that character doing bad things. Right. What, what? And this is something, we talked about this, this come up over and over and over again. Yeah. Is that it is, and this is the ultimate example of it, and I'm glad we finally gotten, mm-hmm. which is the difference between having a character who has makes certain choice or has certain opinions yeah. and having the opinions of the filmmaker revealed in the character's choices yeah. is that I believe, I believe that those are filmed for comedy mm-hmm. and that they are filmed so that you, particularly when we get to where he throws the guy out yes. the window, yeah. that is not. It's, it's again. It's not the action of the character. Mm-hmm. It's the way it was filmed, and I think this is the filmmaker's feelings coming through in a way that I really don't like. I think that's fair, Steve. Absolutely, and and he's turned the prince into an effeminate character, an incompetent character because he's effeminate, because he's, and then uh, indirectly because he's gay, and so yeah, that's there. That's and absolutely and uses punchline throughout. Absolutely right. The dad is disappointed in him. Right. Right, and that's you're right. And Gibson, Gibson must take responsibility for this. And to be fair, in '95, 
this played well for a lot I, of I saw people. It, I saw it in the theater at the time yep. that I said. I saw it later on in the theater again. Big laughs. Yep. Every Big laughs. Time. Yep. Well, and this is this is where you know this is. Look, I I don't know I don't know that we're going to get into Mr. Gibson and his personal life and his personal beliefs, and maybe right. we will at the end. I don't know. I think he's a fine director. Yes. I think he's a extremely even with movies, you know, like Passion of the Christ. I don't understand why he wanted to make that particular movie that particular right. way. Right. I think that is a beautifully crafted movie. Agreed. Apocalypto as well. Apocalypse Agreed. is one of the most I like incredible better. adventure films or it's, chase films yeah. ever. I mean, he he likes things really violent. He does. And he doesn't care that much about dialogue, as we know in those movies, because yeah. we don't understand any of it. Right. But this is a th- he's a real director, yeah. and I really admire his skill, while there might be things about his cho- some of his choices in personal life Yes, maybe I, I'm not su- such a fan of. That's- John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. But anyway, we're at the end of this wedding, and I, we have to again point out the timeline. <laughs> yes. Which is that... So this, so the the William Wallace Rebellion, yeah, starts around twelve ninety six, yeah. Okay, so this is getting pretty close to that. So the latest this could be is twelve ninety five, twelve ninety six. Sure, that's the latest. Right. Isabella was born in twelve ninety five, so she was at the oldest at this time too. Well, I hear multiple different things. I hear she was nine. And she I've, was nine and, when he and, died, and then thirteen. So I've I've heard these multiple ages. So she was nine. So she was born in twelve ninety five. This okay. is like I, I'm this is history. confident on that okay. timeline. Okay. okay, exactly when this moment is, we're not exactly sure. Right, but and she and he died in thirteen oh four. So he was she was nine when he died. Got gotcha. and she was thirteen when she got married, and she was sixteen or seventeen when she had her kid. Right, so. Anything having to do with Isabella is not oh, yeah. in the movie. Listen, <laughs> personally, it was. It's always been the one thing that I didn't like about the movie, or they kind of bothered me about the movie, because it's all built on this relationship with Mara and what happens to Mara. 
to have him then later on in the movie sleep with this woman drove me nuts because I'm like, if this is done out of love and blah, 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 this, the love must stay eternal for you to like sleep with the, you know, prince's wife or whatever. And some, it just didn't make sense. To I, me. I, well, it, it, it goes into like the, the love story with Mara is so great. It's fantastic. It's so beautifully yeah. done is that this one seems, I totally understand why Isabella might be in love with this sure. romantic figure. Sure. But the fact that they would consummate it is seems like I don't get it. It's a bridge too far for me, and the movie has always been a bridge too well, far. Well, I mean, here's and this is maybe spoiling a little bit of my feelings about the film. I think when we're in Mel's story, yeah, this movie is amazing. It hums along fantastically. And yes. when we go to England, or when we go to Robert the Bruce and his leopard father, yeah, I it's it's like it was made by a different person it feels conventional it, yeah it's like oh now we're kind of advancing the story and here's the bad yeah, guy and here's yeah. this and then you're with mel and hamish and mm. and you're like it's amazing yeah. an amazing film yeah. and so I, I yeah it's it's strange to me it's conventional that's the mm. right word you said yeah. it exactly right yeah okay but doesn't matter <laughs> we're going to continue to, to, to yes, explain some of the inaccuracies <laughs> but we're also going to continue on the film yeah and l- later on, we're still with uh, Edward Longshanks, um, and he's talking about our problem with the Scots is messing up our relations with the French because they're not going to respect us because mm-hmm. we can't, you know, kick their ass as we're trying to do, which they weren't. Mm-hmm. And in comes Isabella. And the first thing is, where's my son? And she said, oh, he sent me in his stead. And Longshanks' response is, well, I guess if you're going to rule, you might as well stay. Yeah. Which is very liberated of him on some level. And now we get into this idea that the nobles are really the key to Scotland. And we're going to give them all lands and estates to kind of bribe them to be on our side. Certainly that's stuff that was 100% going on. Yeah. And then he says, as he looks at the princess, the trouble with Scotland (laughs) is it's full of Scots. Scots. Um, This line is, I mean, this film is eminently quotable. Totally. I I mean, there's so many great lines in this movie. Um, I should give me the, more of the quoting to you because you could do the accent. Well, the <laughs> actor is incredible. He's great. Yeah. Uh, who plays Longshanks. He's such a perfect villain. And speaking of villainous, <laughs> he is about to suggest a new idea that is so horrible, which is this idea of prima nocta. Right. Or there's a bunch of different ways to say it. It's from Latin. And the basic idea is that the Lord gets to have sex with a woman on her wedding night. Oh, the lord of that particular land. That particular yes. land. He has the choice. He has the option to have sex. I don't know where this came up. I don't know who created this damn thing. But from what I read in some of the reviews of this, the, uh, some of the historical, this is not historically accurate at all. No. No one ever proposed Not this. only did this not happen at this time, <laughs> There's very little evidence that it's ever happened right. on a wide scale. Not that lords didn't rape women. Of course. I mean, there, you know, look, sure. a lot of horrible things that went on in the world. But as a as a policy that on your wedding night, the Lord is going to come do this, it's almost, it's not a real thing. Right. You know, but he's suggesting it. And his line is, if we can't get them out, we breed them out. If we can't get them out, we'll breed them out. I love that. Um and all the lords are going to want to go to Scotland now. <laughs> oh, shit. And everyone says, this is a great idea. Right. <laughs> is this a great idea? It's not a good idea at all. <laughs> um, and, and again, it's casting the English as not right. just, just the enemy, but evil. Yeah. Pure, pure evil. And speaking of, by the way, we just mentioned it. We're up in Edinburgh, and we've got the lords of Scotland, and there we meet Robert the Bruce. 
Angus McFadden. Yeah. His performance is so odd to me. I think that they're asking him to do something that's very difficult. Yeah. Which is to be, everyone say you're this great guy and to be continuously wimpy and, yeah. and oppressed throughout the entire film. Yeah, to not know your place in it all. Yeah. And, and because you're being handed a place in it, you haven't earned the place in it, and it bothers you because you aspire to be some some kind of heroic figure. And it's ironic because... Well, and Wallace says to him later, yeah. jump the timeline a little yeah. bit, but it's saying, I know you're courageous. I see it in yeah, you, yeah. and everyone else sees it too. I'm like, how? Yeah. Where have they seen this character, <laughs> this guy? And and to be fair, this whole thing you were mentioned about the letter, Robert the Bruce was known historically to jump sides. He did. He did. And so it's not historically inaccurate to say that he would have been on the side of the English against the Scots. It is historically inaccurate to say that he betrayed William Wallace because there's no record, no record that. of that at all. Um, and ironically, he had the nickname Braveheart, Yep, Robert the Bruce, because he asked to have his heart taken out of his body and buried in Scotland when he died. Yep. And that's how he... So, Randall, in a little bit, bears some responsibility here about cha- taking the nickname from one and putting it on the other. Well, him and I don't know who came up with the title, yeah. but whoever did, I mean, can you imagine, like, here's a guy who, however you want to frame it, sure. one, one of the great heroes of Scotland, and they took his nickname, you know? Mm-hmm. you know? I mean, can you imagine, I don't know what the great American nickname is. Yeah, well, um, they did the life story of Matt Nost, and they called it the Outlaw. Oh, that exactly. would really bother the Ex- shit out of me. Exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this picture of Matt Nost in the hat. In the hat. And- <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and there's some talk of like that we hear that Robert the Lords are talking to him, and Robert yeah. the Bruce is, says, "Oh, my dad thinks we should lull the English into some, you know." false sense of security or whatever and they go oh wh- where is he and he goes oh he's traveling and then right. he kind of looks up and we see a shadow of a person on the ramparts and like oh what's up with that <laughs> um so a little more scottish history yeah so after alexander the third died without an heir and that's in 1886 all the scottish lords get together and go what are we going to do and who are we going to have be the king fine and there's getting close to civil war mm-hmm. And as far as I know, Edward Longshanks is not particularly involved in any of this until they say, well, we can't decide between Robert the Bruce mm-hmm. and this other god guy, John Balliol. Yeah, John Balliol. And they go, you know what? Let's have Edward Longshanks decide. Now, this is where I think this history could be written by the English. Right. Exactly how did it end up that Edward got involved? I don't really know. But he says, look, I will support John Belial as king as long as he swears that I will be the Lord Protector, which basically means like the boss of the king. Yeah. And they agree. Now, this is where we can go, wait, wait, how did they agree and what pressure was brought to bear and what agreements were made? And so, and this agreement happened. John Belial was ca- crowned on the Stone of Scone mm-hmm. in uh, 1292. Mm. So this is long after all of the stuff that we has supposedly been happening yeah. in Scotland. Yeah. In the next four years, he, uh, Edward put more and more pressure on him to do what he wanted him to do. And John, King John at that time, mm-hmm. refused, got imprisoned in the Tower of London. And in 1896, he renounced Edward II. And that's really where 18, maybe, or, sorry, not 18, 1295 or 1296, and that's where this really starts. So even though it seems in this movie like this has been going on for decade after decade after decade, it's really only a couple of years because it's when John Balliol 
who was theoretically the king, says, no, no, I'm not doing it with you, Edward, anymore. That's when the English invaded Scotland. Yeah. And did, of course, horrible, horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Down, down. Yeah. So we're back at the old farmhouse, which has seen some better days. Mm-hmm. And up rides a man who we see from behind and from a distance. And we don't know who it is. Yes, we do. We know exactly who this <laughs> is. And then finally, you see uh, Mel Gibson with the hair yeah. in the outfit on the horse. He's such a stud. Supposedly in his 20s. Yeah, he's 38, I think. <laughs> 38, yes. It's so funny because he says he didn't want to do it. He, he, oh, he, yeah. he said he refused to do it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, we're in town. There's no, a- no, not me. <laughs> uh, there's a fair. People are dancing. He sees this girl in slow motion. And this is Catherine McCormick. Yeah, she's so good in this. She's great and gorgeous, beautiful and perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. And Mel shoots her a lot at uh, 28 frames per second. So it's uh, oh, just cool. a little slow. Smart. Just a little slow. And he says he learned this from Peter Weir. Oh. That this was a Peter Weir trick. He said, you want things to look beautiful. What did they do? Gallipoli. Oh, right. Yeah. How brilliant. Yeah. How interesting. Okay. Um, you want things, someone to look beautiful, just slow it down just a little. Not like slow motion. Mm. Just moving a little bit slowly. Gives you time to appreciate it. Yeah, yeah exactly Dude, right. Fair. So here, here's the interesting thing about this. Remember I said that Randall Wallace came up with the little girl and the flower mm-hmm. because he felt sad for this guy at the funeral. It wasn't until he got to this scene that he went, suddenly was going, why did William Wallace come back? Right. And then he thought, oh, it's for the girl. Mm-hmm. Is that he didn't, it wasn't intended. He didn't plan on the girl at the funeral being the girl at the fair. Oh. He just went, I need a reason. I need this girl at the funeral for this reason. Right. I need him to come back. Oh, what if the same girl is there? And that's who he came back for. That was his reason. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and this is so, is that writings like this, at least for me a lot, which is you discover things mm-hmm. and people go like, oh no, you planned that. It's like, no, I had no idea that was going to happen right. until it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then of course it seems so obvious that it has to happen. And just as he's about to uh, talk to uh, Catherine McCormick, who steps in front of him, <laughs> but Hamish. Hamish. You dropped your rock. Test of manhood. You win. Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. I it's not recognizable he's to me. He's unrecognizable in this movie. Even knowing that's who that yeah. is. He's so vibrant and full of life. He feels younger than Mel Gibson. It's mind-blowing. Well, and because you picture, how I picture him is a completely different kind of person. Absolutely. Hamish is the most aggressively manly, testosterone-filled guy in the world. One million percent. Yeah. And he's never played a role like this since. <laughs> and he is a big rock. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he does. <laughs> he drops that rock at their feet, and there's a discussion of that's a big rock. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he says, "Oh, well, the English doesn't don't let us train with real weapons, so we have to train with this." Right. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, and then we go into let's uh, let's throw the rock contest, which is very Scottish. Yes, there's a lot of these. Oh yeah, the Highland Games, Highland Games yeah. things that are just <laughs> these kinds of stuff. Yep. Have you ever watched them? Yeah, uh, yes, and they're ES- awesome. ESPN used to show them. Yeah, and they you can go to Highland Games or Scottish Games around here in the in the U.S. Like they do exhibition events and things of that nature, so you can see that throwing the log, well, that whole nine. Yeah, um, and there's this moment where he's saying, you know. 
uh, this is what we need to do for soldiers. And Mel says, oh, the test of soldiers isn't in your arms. It's here, pointing to his head. <laughs> and Hamish goes, no, it's here. And he punches him in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mel gets up and goes, Hamish? <laughs> Which is great. And later on, we're in the contest, and Mel throws a rock. Pretty good. Yep. Pretty good throw. It's a big rock. Yeah. And then Hamish throws a rock and wins. And, and then... You know, William Wallace kind of asked, like, I was wondering if you could do that when it matters. Could you crush a man with that throw? I could crush you like a worm. You could. Aye. Well, then do it. Would you like to see him crush me like a worm? And he stands in front of me. He's like, you'll move. You'll move. This scene is so Won't. You'll move. And he throws it and throws it right over his head. Yep. It's a funny bit. It is. And an even better bit comes right afterwards. Because he hits, hits a small rock, hits Hamish right in the center of the forehead. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Hamish has a great line. He says, should have remembered about the rocks. Yeah. Yeah. He says, line. you should have moved. <laughs> um, and now he's going to go talk to the girl. Right. Except another girl comes up and says, William, will you dance with me? And he says, of course I will. And they go and dance. And then in come the British. Right. And in comes the Lord. And his... Speech is so horrible and so pompous. I mean, like, he's a perfect actor to cast to just yeah. hate. I come to claim the right of Prima Nocta. As lord of these lands, I will bless this marriage by taking the bride into my bed on the first night of her union. Oh, by God, you will not! And then that guy gets taken out. Yep. And we see that the husband is... Tommy Flanagan, yep. who we saw in Gladiator was yes. the last time we saw him. That's right, as a, a Maximilian's servant. Servant, yeah. yeah. Cicero? Cicero, that, yes. Well, I don't know how I remember that. Um, and now we get the beautiful use of slow-mo as the bride walks through the people. Great song, great uh, score as well in this moment. And it's almost Very heartbreaking. angelic, you yes. know, as yeah. she floats Sacrificial. through them. It's Sacrificial. Sacrificial, yep. that she has accepted there's a purity in what she is doing mm -hmm. and she leans into Tommy Flanagan who is her husband and whispers something to him mm -hmm. and touches everyone to get the because this is about to be a riot yeah and she stops it all it's almost like Christ absolutely right in I the garden so. after the after, totally. after the apostle sliced the ear of the Roman soldier mm. he is walking amongst them stopping the violence yeah yeah and it's all happening in slow-mo, and they finally, they, the soldiers let go of uh, Tommy Flanagan, and we see that evil soldier. Yeah. Just like, oh, that's a bad guy. Yeah, the old guy with the, the old eyes. Guys. Yeah. And the soldiers <laughs> right away, and the evil soldier dude just laughs, and he walks right past William Wallace, who looks at him. Yeah. It, 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 it's a really good scene. The English are terrible, man. Yeah. <laughs> at least in this movie. No, they're... They're evil. I mean, they're like, um, you know, Dark Lord level of, you know, yeah. Darth Vader level of evil. Palpatine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, it's raining. William Wallace rides up to the farm of one of his dad's friends and asks to see his daughter. I was wondering if I might have a word with your daughter. What do you want to have a word with her about? And the dialogue is really funny. And she's sitting in the house kind of watching and smiling. And and, and he says, Oh, it's good Scottish weather, madam. The rain is falling straight down. Oh, slightly to the side like. <laughs> and then they go, she can't go with you now. Know the now. Know the now, anyway. Know the now. Know the now. <laughs> know, know the, the now? now. 
Uh, and then she just runs out and jumps on the horse, right. and they ride off. Again, great music. Yep. I'm going to keep saying it. And great cinematography. This is John Toll. This is beautiful. And, and by the way, it was shot maybe six weeks in Scotland. Most of this is shot in Ireland. Oh, wow. um, okay. This, it was cheaper, less built up, yeah. and more free labor, but it rained a lot. Of course. And, but the locations are great. Yeah. And they kind of talk about how they knew each other after so long, and why would she, are you in the habit of writing off with strangers? Right. And he said, well, I would have sent a note, but she doesn't know how to read. And then he says, he'll teach her to read. And then in what language? Mm. And you should just show an off. Ragging off. Speak, yeah, yeah. Speaks French. He classic speaks dude. Classic yep. dude. <laughs> and I love the line, say that, you're, say that standing on your head and I'll be impressed. Right. And he says, my kilt will fly up. <laughs> there were no kilts. There were no kilts. But historically, <laughs> Kilts like, didn't come out for another, like, what? 400 years. Yeah, 400 it's like years. 1700 when kilts show up. <laughs> no kilts. Which, and it's so funny. It's like, what? <laughs> Here's my feeling about it. It's like... Uh, they're historically accurate. You know, movies are not supposed to be textbooks. Right. And so the kilts, while, the, while incorrect, or the bagpipes, while incorrect, they don't bother me as much as the timeline. Because right. the kilts, it's just what they're wearing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the whole motivation for William Wallace's character and the whole situation that he's fighting against and the whole theme of the film right. is brought into question because the timeline doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I hear you. And I think the kilts thing is a brilliant... Because uh, you go uh, Scottish, I mean, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. It's for, for, remember, you're making this for an American audience in '95. You're not making this for necessarily a worldwide audience. You're looking domestically. This is where the money was at in '95. So you make a film that appeals to that. What do most Americans know about Scotland? Kilts and bagpipes. And bagpipes. So immediately drop those ball, drop well, those uh, ten poles in the ground, and you're good to go from here. I think your theory is completely right, mm-hmm. but I will add to it that it's not like the Scot the people the Scottish people didn't like this movie. Oh right, exactly, they did. They loved it, so they didn't care that it was historically. Of course, either. Yeah, because it's a um, badass movie. And he brings her back home. She's getting some bad looks, and they're looking at each other. And this is the look of love. I mean, mm-hmm. this is you know, it's obvious. And she starts to go. He grabs her hand and pulls her back. And he reaches into his clothing and pulls out a cloth mm-hmm. and hands it to her. And then he smiles. He jumps on his horse. She opens it up. And there is the pressed flower she gave to him at the funeral. Okay, I'm going to continue this thing about Randall Wallace. Because, again, I have issues with him in terms of the, the accuracy. But this is where I, he's 100%. I totally understand this. Perfect. Which is that he didn't know that Mel was, had saved the flower. He didn't know. Oh. He knew. He was at, writing this yeah. scene where they're saying goodbye. And he wanted them to have a last moment. Mm-hmm. And he went, well, they can't kiss. That's right. not it's correct. Too early. It's too early. They can't. The parents are right there. We can't kiss that. And and, and their love isn't about that. Their love yeah. needs to be pure mm-hmm. and special. And he went. Mel should give her something. What what could William Wallace give her? <laughs> and then he went. He kept the flower. Yeah. So he only introduced the girl in the flower because of his feelings about the funeral. He only had he had, he realized that Mel came back for the girl only when he was writing the scene. And now he only realized the flower is going to come back when he was in the middle of writing the scene. And that is how writing feels to me. It's so, the best things, they just come like, oh my God. And you realize you set up a thing 
but you didn't know you were setting anything up. You were just dealing with the problem at that moment. Mm-hmm. And that moment is like tears are in your eyes. Yeah. When she opens that thing and sees the flower, it is amazing. Yeah. That is a great, great filmic moment. Um, he's working on her house and dad comes up with Hamish's dad and they're inviting him to a meeting, mm-hmm. the secret kind. And he doesn't want to go. I came back home to raise crops and God willing, a family. With a little look at her dad. <laughs> if I can live in peace, I will. And dad goes, good, you stay out of the troubles and maybe you have a chance with my daughter. And he's right. like, didn't, didn't I just do that? Yeah. Um, and then they have a nice funny back and forth. Little funny back and forth. <laughs> it's that night. He throws some rocks at the house. She comes out. Again, they run out. Beautiful love theme. And they're talking. And he says something about running a farm's a lot of work. But that will all change when my sons arrive. So you've got children? Well, not yet, but I was hoping that you could help me with that. <laughs> and then she says, you want to marry me? I love that he tricked her into proposing yeah, right, him. Right. He's like, well, it's a bit sudden, but all right. <laughs> she says, is that a proposal? And you remember what he says? I love you. Always have. I want to marry you. Yeah. And they kiss, and there's that love thing. It's the next night. He, they're running off in the woods together, and he mm-hmm. says, you know, going to hurry. Who's, he's going to be waiting. Well, who's going to be waiting? Well, it ends up it's a priest, and we are in this beautifully, perfectly lit scene with the priest, and there is a wedding ceremony. He wraps their hands together, and they say their vows, and she hands him this embroidered cloth, which is going to be a key sort of token yes. that he's going to carry with him that's going to be very important, and they say vows to each other, and the camera pulls back. And we dissolve to him carrying her through the woods and he walks towards her and they're naked and there's, it's cold because the breath that you could see their breath. I mean, it, was, it looks really cold. It looks really cold, which is, you know, it's hard to do certain things. Oh yeah. And I don't just mean physically. I just mean for the actors yeah. to be out. It looks like it's 30 degrees out. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. looks really, really cold, but the scene is gorgeous. It is. And I think it's the same score as the cue rather as the girl when she's going with the knight the lord oh really i think it's the same kind of it's very it has a similar feeling which i think is a foreboding of what's going to happen to that love yeah Mm -hmm. it's the next morning and she's kind of helping him get dressed Mm -hmm. and it's very beautiful and very romantic and we're back in the village and she's carrying vegetables in a basket Mm -hmm. and again it's that slight slow-mo and he's watching her and she turns and they smile at each other and they come together, and there's that creepy soldier man. Mm-hmm. He's watching them. Eating that apple. Eating. Or whatever uh, it is. Oh, he's the serpent. Yeah. Oh, the apple. Oh. It's all there. <laughs> Mel is very um, religious, man. And he asks, you know, when are we going to see her? And there's this great, like, tonight? No, it's too early. Yeah. Tonight? Tonight. Tonight. <laughs> um, and they separate, and we're back to that creepy soldier. It's the playful love. It's that young love. It's the new uh, love, right? It's perfect. It's like it's that kind of thing where we know we shouldn't, but we have to. We we, yeah. we can't get enough of each other. It's I, the, I, you know. I, I think it's for, for the amount of screen time it has, which is very little. You're right. It They just nail it perfectly. Yep. It, you, you're completely 100% invested in this relationship, mm-hmm. and you understand the life they want to have together, yep. and, you, and, he, and you see how special it is. And then this creepy soldier goes, you know, look lively, Sergeant. Essentially, we got a live one. Yeah. And they follow her, and she's surrounded, and she tries to fight her way out, and the, he grab her and throws her on the ground and licks her. Yeah, it's weird. And says, you remind me of my daughter, which that was his line. He made that up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
It's even worse. It's horrible. And she's trying to fight her way out, and their clothes get ripped. And then there's William Wallace. Takes one guy out with the rocks, takes another guy out, and gets her up on her feet. And, you know, they try to essentially walk away mm-hmm. casually. Um, he gets her up on a horse, and you see the soldiers are starting to come towards yeah. her. And he says, meet me at, her, at the Grove. And she rides away, and he fights the soldier, and he sees, oh, she's gotten her away. And we right. think, oh, this is going to be okay. Uh, and she's galloping away, and then she gets hit by a spear and knocked off the horse. And the way they did this is this was shot. It's the opposite. It shot at eight frames per second. Mm. So you showed a really slow frame rate, so it happens really fast. Uh. And she actually reacts in slow motion. And then you speed the whole thing up, and it happens really suddenly. And then you take a couple of frames out. So so it's mm. so it doesn't have smooth movement. So the spear almost jumps a little bit right before it hits her. Right. And then you duplicate frames. So so you've taken two frames out and then you add the same frame in twice. So the image stills for just two frames. Okay. And that makes that impact look more. And this he learned from George Miller. <laughs> There we go. Is that that is great action because it looks brutal. It does. It looks really horrible. And her coughing out of breath. Yeah. Because she's had the wind knocked out of yeah. her and blood coming out of her mouth is even more so. And Mel now dressed as a soldier is at the Grove. Right. She's not there. Right. And it's just, oh shit. And he calls her name and we're back in the village and this Lord has put her up against a post and she's tied up and he basically makes some speech about, look, you know, I've been really nice to yeah. you guys. Other than the prima nocta thing, and yeah. you know, but an attack on the king's guards is an attack on the king, and this, you know, and so there's got to be some punishment. And he pulls out his dagger, and it happens really fast. That's the thing, man. He slits her throat. She's even surprised at the, which is a great reaction yep. from her. The shock of how quickly uh, she is going to die. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, I mean, it is really. And of course, you kind of, I mean, you know what kind of movie this is, but mm-hmm. that is just so, because you're so into this couple. and Right. And I think that's why it's brilliant the way their love scenes are constructed, Steve. Like you said, it's the, they're making the most of a limited amount of screen time so that when this death happens, it has the most, most weight. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it's new love. Everyone knows new love. Everyone knows that first love and the, the joy of that. To have it suddenly ripped away from you. You now are fully invested in William Wallace. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and now we're into our first big battle scene. Yeah, this one's amazing. Uh, the slow setup is so powerful, and the use of slow motion. Yeah, first they're waiting for him, and then they see him coming. Yeah, and he is slowly riding, seemingly unarmed, mm-hmm. into this village towards the garrison. And the guards are slowly moving in, and they kind of see him, and then he goes behind something, yeah. and then we see him looking through like fire, and you see the waves of heat, you know, kind of vibrating. You see the slow motion hooves going into the mud. You see soldiers moving in, and you hear the breathing of the horse. And I think that's so powerful. And there's this look on Mel's face, which is of loss and pain and resignation Mm -hmm. and almost you know what it relates to the woman who gave herself to the lord right it's this sort of there's a sense of inevitability about what's about to happen Mm -hmm. there's a shot that i it's one of my favorite shots in any film ever of 
the empty blue sky and the the muzzle of the horse coming into frame at this weird angle Mm -hmm. and a hand reaching up because the guards have moved in to take the reins of the horse. I don't know what about that shot, but it's so beautiful to me. There are quite a few interesting camera placements throughout the whole movie. And and Mel has lifted his arms up to his sides and it's definitely Christ-like again. And his hands go up behind his head. And there's two soldiers coming in, one that seems sort of aggressive mm-hmm. and more knowledgeable, and the other soldier who looks really young. Yeah. Really, really young. And he's looking up at Mel, and Mel looks down at him, and there is a long pause as his hands are kind of behind his neck. And I think there is a look on William Wallace's face at this moment of regret. Yep. You see that too. Pity. I see pity, pity. and regret. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know I'm about to kill you. Yeah. And you don't know it's coming. Right. And you aren't the person who killed my wife. But this is now what has to happen. Yep. And he pulls out that big morning star, and we go from slow motion, and bam, he knocks that guy out. The other guy shoots a spear in the horse. There were no animals hurt in this film. Yeah. Um, and Mel goes down, and he comes up with this like antler thing between his hands, right into the guy's throat. And this fight scene is great and brutal. Brutal. Well, that's what we're going to see in this movie. Yep. Like this movie is, it earns its R rating for violence. I mean, it is Absolutely. nasty. Mm-hmm. Cuts a guy's leg off. You know how they do that? Reverse. Hire a dude with one leg. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> Suppose that helps. It helps. Um. Um. <laughs> And then there's like, you know, then he throws his sword to kill another guy, uh, you know, picks up a big maul hammer thing. Hamish is in behind him, blocks one thing, hose the hammer to Hamish. We kill the guy with the bomb. I mean, there's like a lot of cool just stuff Mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. in a very kind of realistic way. And then once that's happening, everybody shows up. Hamish's dad, Tommy Flanagan, like all of these people show up. And suddenly the sheriff, which I think he's a sheriff inside the garrison, he gets scared. Yep. Summons archers to the towers. How do we defend ourselves from these archers? Carry some bodies. Exactly. Right on top. Right on top. Yep. Uh, Hamish's dad gets hit with an arrow, and <laughs> Hamish tries to pull it out. <laughs> and I love the moment of, like, dad screams and just clocks him. Yeah. Stab it, boy! <laughs> and they broke off, break off the end of the arrow, and let's yeah. keep fighting. Cosmo's so tough in this movie. He is tough, man. And, uh, well, he's so tough, in fact, that he runs... Well, 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 Wallace climbs up the tower to throw yeah. archers off these towers. He goes and lifts up the gate of this thing so other guys can come in. And there's a great moment where there's a guy's spear coming right at him. And he's going, I have to keep, I can't drop yep. the gate. Yep. I'm just going to die holding this gate. And the guys come in just in time to save him. It's yep. fantastic. Yep. And there's one bad cut, by the way. Oh, There's a moment where Mel, I think, throws a guy off the roof. And he's going to get impaled on one of the spiky wood... Mm-hmm things in the fence and it's so obvious that the angle is wrong oh he falls and he's not gonna it's not gonna happen right right and then they cut to him getting impaled and it's always bothered me <laughs> and i bet i think uh steven rosenblum is the name of the editor who's fantastic i mean mm-hmm. this is a beautifully edited movie shit like that drives you crazy <laughs> i am fair. sure that he hated it he knew it wasn't a great cut it was right. the only way he could do it for whatever reason and he's just like, I could never quite get that, <laughs> get thing that exactly work. right. Damn it, Bill. Uh, but we've taken the garrison. Mm-hmm. And it's suddenly over very fast. And there is a look between Mel and the sheriff and a long pause and then a hard cut to him getting just kicked down the hill. Yeah. 
and he and the way he holds on to his cape is yep. almost is, is mm. almost like a woman holding on to her dress and it is to it's meant to show that he's not like a masculine thing do you know what i'm saying it's done on purpose well and i mean this is a guy who thought he had it all could he had yes. all the power yeah and that power got taken away from his him. arrogance of that speech yeah oh yeah exactly really fast yeah and he is put up against the post yep and there's pause and then he slits his throat and he's just as surprised as yeah. Mara was and this one you really see yeah i mean it is nasty and, Mel, and look, Mel has an almost distant look on his face because it's like it's all he's almost like left his body. Yeah, he's disconnected. Yeah, he's disconnected totally. completely emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I th- well, this is the thing. And we've already said we think he's a great director. The guy's a great actor. He is a fantastic actor, man. I mean, I remember when we did Lethal Weapon years a couple yeah. of years ago now. But his performance, the suicide scene in Lethal Weapon is like one of the most stunning scenes of acting I've ever seen. Yeah. And you see a lot of that same intensity and power in this movie. I've never seen him give a bad performance, man. Even in terrible movies. I've never, even in Tequila, was it, Tequila, Sunrise. Tequila Sunrise. Yeah, I've never seen him give a bad I'd performance. I'd have to really go back and study Bird on a Wire and a whole <laughs> bunch of other films. But he's having fun in Bird on a Wire, right? <laughs> I have he's no memory of it, really. necessarily bad. He's never been bad. Is he Air America, too? Air America as well. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I mean, I loved him so much, but I don't really re- need to revisit some of these films. Yeah. I did watch Tequila Sunrise maybe three years ago. Yeah, it's not a good movie. No, it's not a good movie. Yeah, they tried to be though. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then they st- uh, the the Scot- Scottish start chanting Macalla, Macalla, and then we go into chanting Wallace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, funeral. She's wrapped in a shroud. Oh man, that's heartbreaking. Beautiful shot. He touches her face. He kisses her. Mm-hmm. The family's there. There's crying. Dad, her dad comes up, and you see this moment of him. And he kneels down he and kneels him for his blessing and uh, for forgiveness. Uh-huh. And dad's hand comes out and then he can't do it. And then finally he does. And this to me echoes little William not being able to touch his father. Right. And he does, you know, and when you see in the wide shot, he is really grabbing onto that wig that yeah. Mel Gibson is wearing. Well, I also think it's full circle, right? He met her at the funeral. Oh, and she leaves you're him at totally funeral, right. I right? haven't thought of it's that. It's full circle. That's a great point. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Fuck, it's heartbreaking. Later that night, we have Hamish, who's got a hot poker, <laughs> and he's going up to Dad because he got to cauterize the mood, <laughs> and he goes to Tommy Flanagan and goes, I'll hold him, you do it. You do it. And then Tommy Flanagan gets another guy, I'll hold him, you do it. Right. And they put that hot poker with the whiskey into the guy's oh. wound. Oh. What is he say? What are you afraid of, boy? Do it, boy, or something like yeah. that. And then he, they hold him down, and then he leaps up, punches someone out, and punches, says, "Yeah, uh, that'll wake you up in the morning, boy." <laughs> He's the best. He's good. He's such Cosmos a good character. So good. And then someone's coming, and they grab weapons, and it's the clan, the next clan. Yeah. And they're like, "Hey, we're here to join you." Right. And Wallace goes, "No." Some of us are in this. Can't help that now. But you can help yourselves. Go home. And they go, look, it's, the English are going to come after us after they come after you. And they go, okay. So they all join us. So now we're going to be one big group and we're traveling. And we see them going through a river and we hear the bagpipes and the army is going through the trees. And now we're at another fort. And this one's a bigger one. Yeah. More heavily armed. And this stuff is all built, by the way. This is not, you know, this is all sets. And men ride in and dismount. British English soldiers, we think. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's William Wallace. This is not a very, didn't they have like a call sign or anything? And 
and the the Lord there, and this is the guy that slept with the woman from the yes. previous scene. He goes, hey, I've dispatched 100 soldiers, and they're about to be returning. Wallace goes, what are they dressed like this? <laughs> and says, right. by the way, they were 50. Uh, in, the English did not wear uniforms at this time. Again, no. Not a big deal, but that, that's another one. And then he turns to Tommy Flanagan and says, make it quick. Yeah. And he's got a a big morning star. Yeah. And... Or a mall, I don't remember which it is. And he goes, it was, it was my right as a lord. And he says, well, I'm here to claim the right of a husband. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. It's very satisfying. We get a little speech that he's going to let the rest of you guys go. Go back to England and tell them there that Scotland's daughters and her sons are yours no more. Tell them Scotland is free. And then a pause and burn it. They like to burn stuff down. That's one of my favorite lines. Burn it. The way he says it. It's <laughs> like, it's like, oh. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, back in England, um, the prince is practicing some archery with his guy. Dad walks in. There's a lot of looks. And he says, Scottish rebels have routed one of my garrisons and murdered the noble lord. And the prince is like, well, just have him arrested. Right. Have this Walsh guy arrested. Leave us. And he asks everyone to go, and then when everyone's gone, he hits the prince. Wallace has already killed the magistrate and taken control of the town. He says, one day you'll be king. At least try to act like one. And the wife, Isabella, comes to comfort him, and he goes, no, get me my military council. Right. Because he's going to be in charge, because dad's going to go off to France, and he's the one who's going to have to deal with William Wallace. Yes. And then a maid comes up who's, a, who's an important character and comes to Isabella and she says, I hope your husband goes to fight William Wallace and he kills him and then you're going to be a widow. <laughs> it's like, wow, <laughs> strong, strong statements here. Um, oh, yeah. And now we see the British soldiers, the English soldiers revenge. She's like the best friend that comes up. <laughs> you know what, honey? He don't deserve you. He don't deserve you, girl. <laughs> um. Uh, some English soldiers ride over a hill in the fog, and there are a couple of men, sitting, a couple of Scottish men in a fire, and they chase them. Right. They chase them into like a cliff, and they're totally trapped. And they and as they're saying, No point resisting. You're outnumbered and trapped. We see behind them, on the cliffs, all around them, William Wallace and his army. Yep. And it is awesome. Yeah. And bang, gets hit in the head by a rock. And cut to William Wallace standing there with more rocks smiling. That's great. Love it. Let's go see Robert the Bruce. Let's do it. A rebellion has begun. And we see this man behind the screen. Under whom? A commoner named William Wallace. And we finally see Dad, who is has leprosy, mm-hmm. which he didn't. He didn't? No. Okay. Um, also historically inaccurate. Yes. What's the point of it? Why give him leprosy? Interesting. I do, because I don't know because it makes him look evil. Okay. I don't like this stuff. This is but the, the yeah. Robert the Bruce and Dad is my least favorite stuff. In the I agree. Um, because he's just, it literally is Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. You know, like that's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, and they're talking about Wallace, and and Dad says, it's "Great, you support him with our lands in the north, and I'll support England with lands in the south, mm. and we're going to play this sort of game, and." And he goes, well, look, Wallace, is he's inspiring people. They want to fight for him. And you wish to charge off and fight as he did, huh? So would I, huh? <laughs> well, maybe it's time. It is time to survive. 
you're the 17th Robert the Bruce. There's 16 before you. Like we have a legacy. We got to, and we need the nobles and we need the English. Yeah. Um, and he's still talking to Robert. Our young Robert the Bruce is kind of going, no, he's, I like him. He goes, yeah. oh, you admire him. Uncompromising men are easier to admire. There's courage, so does a dog. But it is exactly the ability to compromise that makes a man noble. It's an interesting statement. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know what the game, what game he's really playing here. It's preservation yeah. of the line, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's some more battle, and we're back to, and this is, again, uh, our prince with his buddy walking down a hallway with someone carrying a mirror mm. so they could look at themselves and their outfits. And this is just like, here are the cliches. Yep. And then we have the maid and Isabella talking, and they, are, they found out some, she had found out some stuff about Wallace, mm-hmm. which she found out through sex, and we get some little dirty jokes, and that Wallace was into this for a woman. Mm-hmm. And she tells the story of Wallace's wife and how she was killed, and that that's how this whole thing started. And that even that they set up an ambush at her graves, but he fought his way through the trap, um, and he carried her body to a secret place. And Isabella loves this story because yeah. it is so romantic and it's so beautiful. And it's so, you know, like them setting up, again, this is where I'm not comfortable with how the movie handles this, is the gay husband with his lover and right. her lack of satisfaction and her uh and the contrast with that with the manly mel gibson william wallace yeah it's not my favorite thing in the movie okay the other thing is is this story of william wallace doing this whole thing for his wife who Mm -hmm. was killed well first of all in the books of blind harry her name is marion yeah and not moron or whatever right name is here and the reason they changed it do you know uh, it's because it's too close to Maid Marian from too, Robin Hood. Too close to Maid Marian from Robin Hood. Right. The other thing is that in the first versions of Blind Harry's script or poem, yeah. there is no Marian. Yeah. There's no evidence at all that he was ever married. <laughs> so the whole motivation is something that doesn't exist. Right. It's so weird, the yeah. decision to include it. But apparently it was a family who paid to have him include her in it so that they could be they could claim they had relate uh, like they were mm, distant relatives of her or ancestors of her yeah um oh people yeah well and also i mean blind harry i mean this was written as a pro scotland anti english yeah. poem i mean this is propaganda yeah which is i mean look this is what we this is what we all do mm-hmm. i mean it's like Look at Captain America. Yeah. You know, talk about a pro-American right. piece of literature. And I love Captain America. Listen, Henry V is one of the most revered pieces of literature. That yeah. is a pro-England uh, play. This is what we do. This is what people do, yep. you know, in their countries. Yep. Um, Wallace and his men are sitting around. They're eating. We're talking about the fact that eventually Longshanks is going to bring the heavy cavalry. Right. And nobody's ever stood against them. It's not possible. And it's like, what are we going to do? And and uh, Hamish's dad, whose name I keep forgetting, mm-hmm. uh, he says, we're going to go back up to the mountains. It's the Highland Way. And we'll hide out until they go away. And then we come back down. And during this time, William Wallace is looking up at the trees. And he says, we'll make spears. Hundreds of them. Long spears. Twice as long as a man. <laughs> well, you're... Your mom's been telling stories about me again, hasn't it? <laughs> Some men are longer than others. Uh, it's so funny. Yeah. And then up comes this to these two guys, and the first guy kind of kneels down in front of William Wallace right. and offers him his service and, and starts to pull something out, and it's a piece of fabric, but they like, 
whoa, 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 what are you doing? And they go, no, don't worry, we checked him. Right. It's an important little plant. And as he's kind of swearing service to Wallace, up comes this other guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his performance as Steven is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> him, that can't be William Wallace. I'm prettier than this man. <laughs> and he eats their stew. He eats their he, stew. He does. He does. The, he like breaks every convention that you uh, are supposed to adhere to when you're meeting new people, yes. especially new warriors. Well, and in particular, looking up at the sky you're and right. saying, "All right, Father, I'll ask him." <laughs> if I risk my neck for you, will I get a chance to kill Englishmen? And then Amos is like, "Are you talking to a ghost, or are you addressing the Almighty?" And and his line is, In order to find his equal, an Irishman is forced to talk to God. Yes, Father. The Almighty says, don't change the subject. Just answer the fucking question. <laughs> and they go, watch your fucking mouth. Yeah. And someone calls him insane, and he draws a knife, and it goes right at Hamish's dad. Right. And they all draw their weapons, and we have a standoff. Mm-hmm. We'll say a Scottish-Irish standoff. <laughs> really fast. Smart enough to get a dagger past your guards. Old man. And Wallace says, in answer to your question, yes. Yeah. Apparently, by the way, someone in The Patriot, which I have no memory of, asks uh, Mel Gibson's character the exact question. If I fight for you, will I have the chance to kill Englishmen? Right. It's Chechki Cario. Oh, really? Yeah. That's him. He's the one who asks him as a Frenchman. He says, do I get a chance to kill the Englishman? That's funny. Yeah. I have no memory of that movie. It's a terrible movie. Yeah. Why would you have memory of it? And then he says, excellent. Stephen is my name. I'm the most wanted man on my island. Except I'm not on my island, of course. Your island? You mean Ireland? Yes. It's It's mine. It's mine. (laughs) And his laughing like a madman is so fun and so crazy. Um, In the next scene, William's out hunting a stag. Mm -hmm. It's very slow. He's got his bow and arrow. He knocks an arrow. He pulls it back. And as he's kind of starting to aim at this stag... We see Stephen, the Irishman, coming up behind him in slow motion. And we see him come in. William doesn't see him yet. And then we see the other guy who just showed up. And he's coming up. And they're coming up from opposite directions. And we're going, oh, my God, these are assassins. Right. They're here to kill him. And then we see Stephen draw his knife. And we see the other guy draw a sword. And William finally hears it, turns, and is bringing the arrow to kill Stephen, but can't quite get there in time. And Stephen throws his knife and hits the other guy, who is actually coming to kill him. That's a great, great moment. It is. Perfectly it, it, set up. It messes with the audience, because, of course, you would think yeah. the rude one is the one that right. is, yeah. No, it's a great moment. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. So there was going to be a whole night battle scene where Stephen proved his worth. Right. And then, I don't know if it was from budget or time or just because Mel was exhausted, which he right. was throughout this whole thing. I'm sure. They said, we got to cut this. And then uh, David O'Hara, I think is the actor's yep. name, David comes O'Hara. up and says, listen, if you cut that, you cut my whole character. That's the whole moment. Right. And they come up with this scene to replace it. That's perfect. Which was cheap and easy, and they shot in an afternoon. Totally. And it's fantastic. And David O'Hara, if you guys don't, if you guys remember David O'Hara, he is... Uh, the father of uh, James McAvoy in Wanted, and in The Departed, he's the guy that goes, "Where's your boy?" When he throw oh, when they throw Martin wow. Sheen off the thing, that's him. It's incredible to see how Stephen, how David O'Hara and Brendan Gleeson are so young and vibrant right. in this movie, but 
the next time we see them in years afterwards, they look older as hell. It's incredible how they look so young and vibrant in well, this movie. People could see the way we've aged during the course of the cinephiles. It's <laughs> like the same thing. Yeah, it's totally the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, they're hiking through the mountains, and there's great music, and runners come up, and they say the English are coming towards Sterling. Right. And they ask about Robert the Bruce, and it's like, well, he and the other lords won't commit, but the Highlands are coming down in hundreds and thousands. Yeah. And William Wall says, Are you ready for a war? And we come to the Battle of Sterling. Yeah. Um, Which is, well, we'll get to it, I guess. (laughs) Also historically inaccurate. Not accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I think you probably watched all the same stuff I watched. Maybe, yeah. 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 well, because I love the movie, I wanted to be precise with it with you. Yeah, um, uh, it's that's what the cinephiles is all about. Yeah, precision. Um, a writer comes up, and we see our lords are waiting. We see all these Scottish men lined up, and they say, you know, the British have everything. I keep doing that. The English have three hundred horse, mm. which means we can't win because nobody can stand up to heavy cavalry. Right, and then it start. There's a rumble. And we see in the distance spears coming over from the distance, and we see the arrival of the British English army. I I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> it is impressive. Mm-hmm. It is scary. And these are this is the time of huge, huge cast. These are thousands of people. What they mostly did, there was mostly the Irish army, by the way, because we're in Ireland, and that they would shoot one day, and they would all be dressed as the Scottish, and then the next day they would change their clothes, <laughs> and they're all the English. That makes sense. And this shot of them appearing that is so intimidating was an afterthought. It wasn't in their shooting schedule at all. And suddenly someone went, hey, we never showed the English showing up. Yeah. And they went, oh, we got to get that. And that's they added all this stuff. Makes sense. Um, And the guy who is handling all this, these huge crowds, is David Tomlinson. Do you know who this is? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. He is the AD who handled the largest crowd scene ever filmed, as far as I know. Mm Mm-hmm which is like 100,000 people in Gandhi. Wow. He's the AD for Gandhi. Wow. Okay. Mel scored when he got this guy. Yeah, I'm sure. This is a guy who can handle some big crowds. Mm -hmm. I don't even, I mean, the logistics, I mean, just, you have to feed these people. You have to put all the costumes of the people. You got to get makeup on the people. You have to organize them. You have to all get them going in the right direction. I don't know how, I've never been on a movie set like this. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, very few people have. I can't imagine what it takes to organize something like this. Yeah. It's crazy. And the score is great as the British come in. And now the commoners are going, look, I didn't come here to fight so they could win more lands that I'd have to work for them, mm-hmm. which is a really good point. All right, lads. I'm no time for these bastards. Let's go home. Uh, which sucks for the lords because if they don't have their army there, they can't negotiate to get more lands. By the way, that guy is a fantastic Scottish actor, Peter Mullen. Oh, that's who that is. Yeah, he's done a number of films. Uh, if you ever saw Session Nine, that Mm-mm. that incredibly insane horror film at a mental institution, and uh, he's done a number of films that are smaller British. I can't remember the director he works with all the time, but there's he did a film called Joe, which is really incredible as well. So yeah, great, great actor. It's so it was shocking. Because I was getting into independent movies out around mm. this time in the 90s. I'd seen him in a couple of things. It was shocking to see him play such a small part wow. in this movie. Um, and then just as they're starting to leave, and we look like this isn't going to go at all, mm. up rides William Wallace and his men in the blue war paint. Yeah. And everyone's got the war paint on. Mm-hmm. And he's got, I think it's a, a it's a something kind of cross. I forget what it is called. Yeah. That has now been worn at football matches all across <laughs> Scotland. William right. Wallace. got to be no tall enough. Which comes from Blind Harry, by the way. Blind mm. Harry wrote that he was seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. By the way, the blue war paint, no. 
Yeah. That's from the Picts. The Picts wore blue war paint when they fought the Romans a thousand years earlier. <laughs> it looks awesome. Yeah. It is so great. It's a brilliant choice. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and they have, all these men have big bundles of something. <laughs> I love Stephen's line. The Almighty says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. <laughs> so good. Um, and the lords are like, where's your salute? And William Wallace is like, look, thanks for coming. Yeah. You know, I'm not saluting you. And then he gets, rides over to the men and makes the speech. Yeah. And this is, it's amazing. It's a shorter speech than people remember. Yeah. But it is to the point. And, and once again, he's speaking to the commoners in a, like, in a way that's relatable, right? He says, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. And I'm proud. So he's connecting with them. He's like, yeah. I'm one of you, and you, you know, I'm proud. You've heard the legend of me, but you guys are the reason why this is possible. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live! Die. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take and the freedom thing at the end of the, it's a big deal freedom is a big deal in this movie <laughs> you think <laughs> um the speech is amazing um yeah it is very much and randall wallace says this it is very much henry five Oh, you yes. Know, St. Crispin's Day. 1,000%. This is that kind of a speech. Yep. One of the things that, that Mel said that I think is uh, uh, totally right is he got a lot of juice from the horse because every time he yelled, the horse would try to bolt. Of course. And then he would have to control the horse. And you, I mean, you, you as an actor know yep. when you have to deal with a thing, yep. you're in the moment now. Now it's real. And he said it really helped him. And he also is so grateful that the camera operator and the first assistant cameraman, the first AC, were so good because he had no idea where that horse was going to go. Right. And that means that they have to continually move with him. And in order to have things in focus, the first AC's job is to pull focus, which means if you go two feet farther away, I have to change the focus. Right. If you go six inches in, I have to keep moving this little knob to keep you in focus all the time, which is super hard when a dude's on a horse sure. that he's not controlling that well and right. you don't know where it's going to go. Right. Um, the scene's amazing. Um, and the, the speech works and the lords are not pleased right. and they're like, look, we're going to have to go off. We're going to go talk to the English because they still want to make a deal. Yeah, they want to negotiate. Yeah. And William rides off too. They're, where are you going to go? I'm going to pick a fight. <laughs> and they go off to the English 
What does he say? He says, well, I didn't get dressed up or nothing. Yeah. Right? Um, Hamish says. And the lords are doing some introductions, and they're sort of starting to negotiate terms, and William Wallace says his own terms, which is basically get the hell out of Scotland. Oh, but first, your your commander should come over and put his head between his knees and kiss his own ass. Yeah. Doesn't he also say that they have to stop at every house? Stop at every house and apologize. And apologize, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he doesn't really expect them to agree to this, and no. certainly they don't. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the lords go, oh, well, great. Thanks a lot. I don't think he's really been talked to that way. <laughs> and Wallace says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go right away. Yeah. And they go, but we'll look like we're retreating. And he says, yeah, and the English will see you. And they go, oh, yeah, oh. And he says, take out their archers. I'll meet you in the middle. I think the lords agree to this way too. It's really quick. It's a fair point. They're just like, yes, great, okay. Mm-hmm. And so they go off to do it. And now we uh, ride back with the men. William gets rid of his horse, and we all kind of get in line, and the priest is blessing the soldiers, and they kneel down to take the blessing. And the, the Scottish, after the, the prayer, one guy steps forward, lifts up that kilt. Then they all step forward screaming and lifting up their kilts and showing their... And I remember when I saw this in the theater with the original cut, there were a lot of penises, and oh. I think including Mel's. Wow. And there were a lot of penises. Because they were much closer shots. Now you're really far away from this. Um, I don't know how it looks in 4K, but... um, But the English Lord is not pleased with this, and he calls for archers, and they open fire with the archers, and this is a pneumatic arrow cannon or something like that. And the guys jump behind their shields, and those arrows come in, and one arrow goes right in through Mel's shield. And Stephen says... The Lord tells me he can get me out of this mess. But he's pretty sure you're fucked. But he's pretty sure you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. I think that's why this movie works so well, Steve, because humor. there are anachronistic moments throughout yeah. that still feel yeah. organically part of the film. Yeah. yeah. And then they survived it, so they scream yeah. again, and then they open fire again, and a couple of guys don't get behind their shield so fast. Right. One of the tricks you see, and you see, if you really look at it, you see it all the time, which is someone bleeding before the arrow hits them or someone bleeding. There's ones where someone gets hit by something and the blood is exploding outside the helmet. You know, Mm. they have a blood pack on the weapon or something. Right. And that's what's exploding. Like there's so many things like, but it doesn't matter because it happens so fast and it does so well. And then we go, okay, the arrows didn't work. Let's send in those scout, the cavalry and the cavalry charge in this battle Mm -hmm. is amazing. slow build the slow movement of the cavalry the use of slow motion we see that they have these spears but they're on the ground and they're going hold 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 and we have the the fast motion as we're coming to they're called uh the the, the nickname for them was hedgehogs but the real uh name was i, th- I think it's shultrons mm-hmm. i think the real word is shultrons which actually comes from the Viking um, uh, shield walls. And as far as I could tell, William Wallace is the first person to add these long spears. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's a lot of people say that he was the first person to fight heavy cavalry in this way, Mm -hmm. which is a really, really big deal. Mm -hmm. And there's that fast motion shot of them coming in and then, and the hold, hold, hold. It's such a great tension build. It is. Until the last possible second and they lift out those spears and they wipe out those horses.
A lot of mechanical horses. That's the big, really nasty looking falls yeah. are mechanical horses. So they're not really killing a lot of horses. But man, it is so intense. Mm-hmm. And now the Lord is shook. Yeah. And he says, send the infantry. You lead them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and now we get the big charge. William Wallace and all the Scots scream and charge and run full speed at him. And there are a lot of continuity errors. <laughs> I think apparently Wallace is holding a hammer and then he's got the sword and then he's got nothing. And then he's right. got the hammer. It doesn't matter. I, people who point out continuity errors as signs of bad filmmaking. Those are not filmmakers. Yeah, right. Agreed. Continuity's hard. Yeah. It's like, yes, we don't want to have them. But the movie, the scene is great. Yeah. Nobody, I, you only see that if you watch that scene five times. Exactly, and and the thing is, this scene, this war scene, is one of the best battle scenes ever, ever on film at this this from this time period. Yeah, it's a fantastic battle. Scene. It is brutal and it is mm-hmm. fast, and there are there, there are great moves within it. And we kill, man, the Scottish because I don't think barely any Scots get killed. Right, they wipe them out. Yeah, it is absolutely smashed heads and mm-hmm. legs taken off and slit throats and crotch shots and. Knives in the eye. Knives in the eye is just just brutal, yep. including Hamish's dad loses a hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but keeps fighting. He does, of course. That guy is, a, look. He's, he's a Scottish. He's tough, man. He's tough, man. Yeah. And now the Lord's really starting to panic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then over the hill come the Lords, the cavalry come in, and they charge and wipe out the archers, and that is going to, and we the retreat gets called and this is we we've won yeah you know right we've won this unbelievable battle and mel looks around looks around at the battlefield and there is a primal scream where he lifts up that sword and drives it into the ground (laughs) and i think we feel that Oh, yeah. I think this is so powerful yeah. between the horse, surviving the archers, surviving the horse charge, then the hand-to-hand battle that is so brutal. When Mel screams, we're like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you feel it. It is amazing. I still remember seeing it the first yeah. time from that moment because yeah. the battle was so insane that when it's over, yes, that's the first thing you do is like feel that desire to yell, primal yell. And he lives up that big fucking sword mm-hmm. and drives it in the ground and, and it goes back and forth. And that is a an exclamation point, a period on the end of this sentence. Right. And I think this as this is really the halfway point in the movie. Yeah. And as this at the climax, at the height of William Wallace's power, is a good time for us to end part one, but not before yes. we maybe point out one more inaccuracy <laughs> for this episode. For this least. episode, which is that this isn't known historically as the Battle of Sterling. Nope. What is it known as, John? The Battle of Sterling Bridge. Why would you call it the Battle of Sterling Bridge? There's no bridge in this battle. Because there's actually a bridge in the real battle that this is supposedly based on, uh, which was a separation between the lower highland, uh, the lower areas of Scotland and the highland areas. Yeah. You had to cross the bridge, and you could only go over two at a time. It was a wooden bridge. Imagine 10,000 soldiers, British soldiers, on one side having to go over two at a time yeah. over that bridge in order to attack uh, the, uh, the 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 Scottish uh, there in the Highlands. And so what they did was they let some get across. Yes, they let a quarter or a third of the army get across. Right. 
ambushed them. Yep. They had undermined the bridge so it wasn't as strong. Right. And right when they had gotten a third across, they dr- destroyed the bridge, yep. wiped out the third, and then and this gave them the advantage to win the battle. Absolutely. Again, totally brilliant st- strategy. Right, but not cinematically. Yeah. And the spears that they used to create these hedgehogs, the Chiltrons or whatever the name mm-hmm. is, those were actually really used far more at the Battle of Falkirk, yeah. not at this battle, right. because this didn't have the big cavalry charge because of that bridge. Exactly. And so, and this is like an interesting one of where I think this battle is totally amazing. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's not accurate, right? But I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I think the the what they did with the bridge shows William Wallace's brilliance, the real William Wallace's brilliance in a different way. Yeah. But this scene is amazing, and, and also to be a little more historically accurate. Some of the British soldiers tried to try to run away through the water, but because their armor is so heavy, they drowned. Oh, I didn't know that. So many of them yeah. drowned trying to run away uh, through the water after the bridge wow. went down, and to no avail, obviously, because their armor was so heavy. Yeah. Uh, but yes, Steve. Once again, this is one. The camera angle is at a tilt, and it's an interesting way to shoot from below above Mel Gibson when he slams that slams sword that down. sword in. It's such an interesting angle to shoot it at. And all of it, and but I also think this is a great display of what battle really was like. Yeah. When you see all these bodies strewn across the fields, this is the price. This is the cost. It, it is so brutal. Yeah. So that's what we think of the first half of Mel Gibson's Braveheart. <laughs> of course, we always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. Subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube. If you're on an Android phone, you can use Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, a whole bunch of places to hear our mm-hmm. show. Please leave reviews on iTunes. We, they really do help. they kind of fallen off lately. So if you're new to the show and haven't left us a review, we really would appreciate it. Mm-hmm. If you want to support the show, like so many people did who picked Braveheart, yeah. you can do so at patreon.com slash the cinephiles we just recorded a cinephile shorts which would be up here in the next day or two Mm -hmm. um and so those you only need to pledge three dollars to listen to us talk about other topics outside of the films on cinephile shorts five dollars to pick a topic for the shorts and if you want to reach me you can do so at sr morris on twitter or sr morris one on instagram yeah john where can they reach you you can reach me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram and what steve says is absolutely accurate for those of you who don't know how the algorithm works on itunes or other podcast uh providers you leaving a comment and leaving a rating puts us up higher in visibility so that other people will discover it and find it and and become fans of the cinephiles we've been building slowly but surely over the last year through this whole year our uh, listenership has grown thanks to the efforts from all y'all to talk about the show promote the show tag us in when people are questioning on twitter what podcast should people be into all of the work you guys have done as our fans has been incredible we want to keep it going more and more and i will throw this out there uh, Steve doesn't know I'm going to do this, but I'm throwing this out there and seeing maybe if there are any of you all who know a network, that a, like a big main network that we might be perfect for, let us know. DM us, tweet at us, let us know, and we will reach out to see if we can get on. Because we want to get on, we want to get bigger and bigger and bigger as this right. thing grows. And being on a bigger network with higher listenership will give us a better opportunity to keep this thing growing. Yep. 100%. I didn't know you were going to say that, mm. but I totally agree. And I think that is it for this week. We will see you next time for part two of Braveheart on the Cinephiles. <laughs>